Uh, hey everybody, welcome to What Am Games Hobby Podcast. I'm Mike. I'm Kurt. And I'm Jane. So this week we thought we'd just kind of talk about some of uh, our, our old pastimes of board games or tabletop hobbying games, but more so in our experiences of nostalgia. We're going to be talking about some of our favorite board games that we've played in our life today. And I'm actually going to go first. Ooh. I have several, but the first one that I need to bring up is uh, is Risk. And that's because it's such a staple of my childhood with Jane and our other buddy Ian and, uh, and also other groups of friends, just Risk. It's a game that will test your friendship, that's for sure. But um, it it's... It's a very fun experience to have, and it's it's one of the it's one of the older staples of board games. So that's my first one that I'm throwing out. But my more, for more contemporary, uh, I'm a huge fan of Betrayal. Any of the Betrayals, really. I, I I personally have only played House on the Hill, but I hear the other Betrayals are also really good. I have a lot of experience with Betrayal in the House on the Hill, and I haven't even like scratched the surface really of all the potential outcomes that that game provides. And I just find it so fascinating um, that you can start a whole adventure in this cooperative manner. And then all of a sudden the tides turn and one of you, you don't know who, but one of you is going to be the villain. And that's just an amazing kind of a turn of events. And it's a, it's a game that, that turns itself on its head. And I don't know, have you guys, have you guys played that one? I've played Betrayal. Yeah, I, I just think that mechanic is genius. It's so fun. I love how many... I've only actually played it through all the way once, but I love the potential for all those different outcomes. Yeah, I, I love how the game really completely changes once you unleash the haunt. I have also not played... Uh, it's it's a Baldur's Gate, right? The, the D&D yeah, variant. Yeah, that's the main... Um, what do you want to call that? Like clone game or copy game? Yeah. Well, it's not really a clone because I mean it's the same company, right? But yeah, I mean it's well, yeah. It's but I mean, when yeah. I say clone, I'm talking like, um, for example, there's, there's a game called Love Letter, but the the mechanics of Love Letter have been turned into like ten other games that use the same mechanic, but in like a different setting or different. So you have like Love Letter, and then you have like Thanos who has the uh, Infinity Gauntlet, and then you, you know what I mean. It's, it's the, uh, okay, gotcha. Yeah, I think it's, another, it's clones. I think it's like monopolies. Apt. Yeah, I was going to say another app metaphor would be either like all the Monopoly is variant, I think is another is the variant. proper term. Uh, so that it gets a variant like uh, all those Munchkin variants, you know? Ah, uh, yes. Jelly, yes. powdered, cinnamon, pumpkin around the holidays. Mmm, Dunkin' Donuts. Yeah, no, also not a sponsor next. of this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Though Dunkin', if you want to sponsor us, I, I'm, I'm all in for some free breakfast sammies and coffee yeah, we love we love coffee donuts and breakfast sandos here yeah 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 i'm down for all this so kurt what what uh what are what are some of your favorite board games well i didn't expect you to go so far back like to actually go into childhood so i was thinking of, of more contemporary stuff but since you mentioned childhood i'm gonna just mention a few i played as a kid that are big and then i'll talk about the ones i actually wanted to talk about so as a kid i mean yeah Risk, obviously, all, you know, all, all the, the standard games, but Risk was big. I was also a Hero Quest and a Talisman player, you know, in my, my early teens um, and before that, even. I got into Hero Quest, I think I was 11 or 12 and uh, maybe 10. And I got into um, Talisman when I was like 14, 15. Hero Quest, games... not to be confused with Hero Clicks. Yes, not to be confused with Clicks in any way, shape, or form. Um, <laughs> But like the, the, the more modern games that I really enjoy, because I, I used to like really big, really intricate, like five hour board games. I used to play a lot of Avalon Hill games like Merchant of Venus and um, was it Cosmic Encounter. No, that's a dice game. Um, there's a Cosmic Overlords or Cosmic. It, it, it's, it's a three hour game. It takes like an hour to set up and two hours to play. Um, and one of my favorites was um, Arkham Horror, which is also a like two hour setup and like four to eight hours of playing. You can play a whole day of one game. If you have all the expansions, but, um, you know, we're all getting older and what I like are the more simplified streamlined, um, either card variants of games or deck building games. So the two games that I actually want to finally talk about are elder sign and dominion for two different reasons. And elder sign specifically is because I love Arkham horror, but again, it 
could take you hours just to set up the board and hours to play through just to lose. And um, Elder Sign streamlines all the fun and all of the, the elements of Arkham Horror into just a, a bunch of cards and some dice on the table. Uh, the way the game works is the main set is you're just in a museum in Arkham, Massachusetts, and weird stuff is happening in the various rooms. And the rooms are represented by six cards. You flip over six cards... And it'll be like the conservatory or like, you know, book archive one, uh, the gardens, like each card is a different area of the museum. And you, uh, you're investigators who are exploring it and you're like collecting clues and you have to try to defeat the card, what's happening in that room. Um, and then you collect the rooms and you flip over new rooms. And um, that game is just a lot of fun and you can get a whole game done in any, like 40 minutes to an hour. And I like that. I like that a lot. It's it's a it's a great setting. The characters in that card game, the investigators, are the same characters and investigators that are in the Arkham Horror game and the I think there's an Eldritch Horror simplified board game. It's still there's like three levels of difficulty. Level three is Arkham Horror. Level two is Eldritch Horror, and level one is Elder Sign which is the card game. And another cool thing about that is they uh, they wrote a bunch of novels that take place in the storyline of the museum being invaded by creatures from the Cthulhu Mythos. And then the expansion sets take you outside of the museum. There's a expansion for the streets outside. There's an expansion for um, the other end of town. There's another expansion for opening portals to Lovecraftian cities. It, it's a great game. I love it. Absolutely. And then the other game that I really, really love and we will never play again, my, the people I play with, uh, is a game called Dominion. And um, I miss it terribly because it's uh, it's one of those deck building games where at the beginning of the game, you select a bunch of cards. You, you basically, during the course of the game, you build your deck and you play your deck at the same time. So you're gathering materials so that you could buy more cards and then build up your deck. And the cards in your deck then have rules. So like you'll play a card that says, you know, draw three and gain a new card for your deck or you know like spend money and buy victory points uh it's hard to explain it's really hard to explain now, but is dominion, you're building your deck like on is Dom dominion the one where it's like there's like four space factions or something like that in your deck building no no it's not space factions it's usually um it's kind of like medieval or renaissance it's okay, like the a, one i the one i there's, there's other versions there's yeah. other versions like there's expansions I think I played so, the space version of it. Okay, but it's it's like yeah, there's like twelve decks set up, and you're you're drawing cards, and you're you're building your deck, but then you're playing three. It's it's really hard to explain, but it's really really cool because you're basically coming up with strategy, and you're trying to draft cards and build your deck, and other people are trying to you know buy and draft cards themselves. So you're you have to think like, okay, am I going to spend my my resources to stop someone else from getting their hand on the cards that will give them victory, or am I going to try to build my deck so that it works the best? And the reason we stop playing it is because um we played with a bunch of guys who were like instead of playing the game just to have a good time they played the, the game to like i must win and defeat everyone and i'm making this into a system now and so i'm sorry i won't play the game unless we have these three cards involved because otherwise the game takes too long and i can't win okay so that's why we stopped playing that game but um i like deck building games they just the, the mechanics are a lot of fun that's not something we should have talked about actually is like the styles of board games we like because i like resource management and um deck building type games and exploration type games where it's not pvp i i must say i, I don't enjoy pvp anymore just mostly because some of my friends are not good at handling it but yeah th i've never the... i've never been a huge fan of uh like the super competitive board games which is just surprising why i liked risk so much as a kid because it's super competitive risk is always super competitive but i i really like the fact that there are games out there now like the arkham horror card game i believe you can play as one person oh and... Sign is one person i think so there's a yeah there's an and online then, version of it that you could play on like your ipad or phone yeah and then uh i i recently picked up the new bloodborne game that has some cool miniatures that i'm gonna paint eventually and oh, i'm excited to to paint them because they look really cool and i'm a huge fan of that that universe i i also really like the idea that it gives you the option to play a narrative campaign solo if you want to you can kind of just sit down and set all that stuff up so i like cooperative games for the most part like like you, Kurt. And I also like board games that offer you the ability to play by yourself so that you can at least learn the rules. And then when you go and play with your friends, you can teach them the rules better and you're not spending like 80 hours just standing there trying to figure it out. 
But now that we've kind of talked about ours, let's hear about <laughs> Jane's favorites. Well, uh, Mike, I'm really glad that you brought up Risk because, uh, you know, I, I also have a lot of fond memories of playing that with you. I wanted to bring up a game, a variant of Risk that they've published, which is uh, Risk, I believe 2210 AD is the year on it. Oh, um, uh, that's a good one. Yeah, I just, I think it took a lot of what I like about Risk and emphasized the good parts and took away some of the bad parts. The first thing that's really great about it is there is a five turn limit because, you know, when you get to the end game of Risk, you can just have these turns where, you know, one player is like almost taking over the entire world and leaves like two countries there. And then the other player does the same thing. You just kind of go back and forth like that for a while in a bit of a stalemate. So, you know, this version of Risk totally eliminates that. And then they also have, you know, various ability cards, various commanders that give you boosts. Uh, you you can colonize the moon if you want it's it's just you know that's that's my personal favorite flavor of risk i like how they opened up the board in that version of risk as well so that you don't have like the the tunneling in uh the turtling i should say in australia or like you i know, love like, that you can, oh, you yes, can actually yes. get to places yeah. yeah you can you can get to australia from uh more than just uh, just Asia. New Zealand. Yeah. Um, you know, there's a 40k version of Risk too. Oh yeah, I, saw that. I haven't I might looked want at to that, but up. I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure that would be fun. Um, <laughs> you know us and our our 40k. So one of the games that I wanted to talk about, uh, I don't even know how objectively good it is because I haven't played it since I was a kid, but I have really fond memories of it. And Mike, I'm not sure if we ever played this together or tried, but it's called Key to the Kingdom. And from what I remember, because again, I haven't played this for well over 20 years, it's um, it's an adventuring board game and it's kind of like D&D Lite in some ways. I mean, the object is to, um, you know, you have to, you have to find the keys and get back to the center of the board before like a certain amount of time runs out. And this game just kind of really opened my eyes at a young age to what a board game could be. They had a fun mechanic where you started with the board kind of folded up on itself. And if you got to a certain space, you could open up the board and it would reveal an entirely different, you know, set of locations. And you had to explore all of them to see if, you know, the keys that you were looking for were in a certain castle. And uh, my brother had like played it once at a friend's house and eventually we tracked down a copy. I think in the early days of eBay, we tracked down a secondhand copy and it was missing at least one card. So like we made a proxy and we still just had a blast playing it. And I just loved the idea that a board game could like that the board itself could transform was super cool to me. And also just that we were so excited about this game that we went through the trouble to hunt it down and also to, you know, make our own versions of the pieces that were missing is just a really, it's a really special memory to me. And I think that's a big reason, like that kind of feeling is a big reason why I like playing board games today. I, I love think, that story. Thanks. Yeah. It's, it's probably still in my mom's basement. I bet we could, probably we could dig it out, out and yeah, yeah give it a shot. I was going to, I was going to say, I don't think we, we ever actually ended up playing that one together. I don't, I don't think that was one. Yeah. I mean, it was, I don't know. It is on the complicated side. And again, like I, I don't, I don't know if it was actually any good or if, you know, it's just one of those childhood things that became mythologized. And as, as I get older, I'm, I'm like you guys, I, I prefer games that are less directly competitive. I enjoy a good cooperative game. I also, uh, recently I've become aware of games that are kind of indirectly competitive, um, where there's not as much, you know, you're not going to, steal your opponent's resources necessarily or um you know like make moves to check them but you are gonna you know you are like in competition like you're trying to get the most points at the end but you're not like directly trying to tear your opponents down so i've actually i've played two games recently that i've really enjoyed like that uh one is called patchwork which is a board game for just two people and my wife and i were uh on a little airbnb getaway because that's the thing we've been doing since covid to just like change the scenery since she's working from home and i'm unemployed so so we don't go crazy we'll just like go to some town uh and we were actually in new haven connecticut they have a really great uh game shop down there i believe it's called elm city games but we went in and we asked the guy hey you know what's what are what are good games that you would recommend for two players so he pulls this one off the shelf and uh basically you are trying to fill in your board with quilt 
pieces and you are competing, you're pulling pieces from the same pool, and at the end of the game, you get points for how many squares you filled up on your on your quilt, essentially. And it's really chill and meditative, and even though there is a winner and a loser, you're really mostly just competing against yourself, and you tally your points against your opponent at the end, so that's really nice. And then last night, I played a board game via tabletop sim with my brother called the Quacks of Quadlinburg, which has kind of a similar <laughs> mechanic. In this game, you are taking on the role of an alchemist in a, you know, Renaissance-era city market, and you are brewing potions. And you start the game with a certain number of tokens, and you draw them blind out of a bag. And as you place your tokens in your pot, you get certain points for what you play, but if you get too many of a certain number of, of a certain kind of token, then your pot explodes and your scoring for that round is vastly reduced. So it's it it actually does have kind of a deck building mechanic because you have the opportunity to buy additional tokens, which will give you, you know, various abilities and bonuses and more importantly, kind of water down your token pool. So you have less of a chance of drawing the bad ones. And uh it's, it's a similar kind of vibe in which, you know, yes, you have to keep an eye on your opponents because, like, as you are adding ingredients to your cauldron, you have to be careful and weigh your risk. It's like, okay, so what's my probability of drawing a bad token at this point? How many more spaces do I need to get ahead to win the round? Is it is it worth risking blowing up? So I, ended up, I had a great time with that last night. I might try and track down a hard copy because it was just that good. Um, yeah, those are those are a couple of games I've really enjoyed lately. Love to try and uh, try and play that with you. Now we we already kind of covered some games we miss in that. I still got uh, some stuff though. <laughs> yeah, me too. So um, I'm just gonna you know like a game that I miss playing. I know it's still around, but um, it's it's one that uh, you know haven't played in a long time. Probably won't really ever play again, but still have fond memories of it. Is the uh, Lord of the Rings tabletop game, and I really liked that miniature game. It was just a lot of fun, uh, even if I always got slaughtered. It's a lot of fun to go back and replay some of those like battles from the books and the movies, and you just just enjoy like recreating that that sense of uh, epic scale that 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 universe provides. You know, like you <laughs> got all these Urukai uh, fighting this tiny band of elves and dwarves and whatnot and they're just i don't know it was pretty epic and it was a lot of fun and uh i've seen some of the new minis that they released for it and they look amazing again probably never going to get back to it but it is a game that i do miss yeah i i also have very fond memories of that i've definitely considered picking up some of the minis just to paint them for old time's sake because you know like so many of gw's sculpts they've improved vastly in the you know 15 years or so i spent away from the hobby yeah, GW is definitely good about dragging you in because, like, I want to paint everything they're putting out right now. And it's like, I don't need any of this stuff. I have so many minis. So it's it's been tough. <laughs> Especially yep. working at a store with a discount. It's like, oh, I can just get this for, like, half price. No, no, stop. <laughs> After all, why shouldn't I keep it? It came to me. <laughs> it's mine. My precious. No, it's really bad. Oops, sorry. It's, it's okay. You did your best. Mal, Malern. Mal. Precious. <laughs> so sweet. Hey, that's Why not bad. Rush to catch a fish. So sweet. <laughs> I'm trying to come up uh, with other games that I miss. <laughs> well, like I said, I have a story for that. Yeah, go ahead. Go let's hear your. something. So, so, so the games I miss thing is actually probably going to turn into like I'm not going to let it turn into a rant, but it, it might be like old guy yelling at the sky and kids on my lawn type of thing. <laughs> so I'm 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 going to try to control myself. So it's not so much the game because uh, uh, I'll clarify, but it's not so much the game as it's the way I play and my friends play. So, I mean, obviously, I've been playing D&D forever. It's, like, one of my mainstays. But I have played a lot of other RPG games. Um, you know, I, I've I've run other systems. I've played in other systems. And I don't want to get into the big fight that, that I see all the time on Twitter and in the forums and all the places. I, I don't actually hang out with the role-playing community too much because you get a lot of people who basically hate D&D and think, like, if you like D&D, there's something wrong with you. And so they, they try to push really hard for you to play other things. Like, oh, you should be playing these other games because they, they're superior or, you know, they, they, there's a lot of that mentality, which I don't like. But the thing is, is that I will admit that there are other games I want to play that aren't D&D. And it's because they play in a different style. 
Now, I'm not one of these people who goes in, oh, D&D is just dungeon crawls and kill everything and call not, you know, all, all the negativity that people like to put on the game, which I do not agree with and I do not side with. I believe that you could do just about any style of game and any type of game using D&D. You just have to understand how to customize the rules and how to go with the flow and, and realize that the, the number one rule of role playing is, is just to have fun and do what you want to do. You don't have to actually follow every single rule as as written uh though some of the people i play with do believe you have to do every rule as written so that's a long convoluted way to get around to the point which is i want to play some other games and i want to run some other games because i remember when the people i role played with played their characters differently in talking with you guys you guys are having a fun time you talk about a lot of funny joke characters and i like that but most of the games i'm in are very serious and like when i'm in a mood to joke no one else is in a mood to joke or sometimes i'm the guy who's super serious i, I create a lot of super serious characters and, and that's just what I'm creating because that's what I want to play like for example I'm in a, a Curse of Strahd game and I'm a bard and there's another bard and everyone knows what the uh, what the going joke about bards is the going joke about bards you know that they're like sex machines and they, they seduce all the monsters while the other guy is playing the sex machine who wants to seduce and sleep with every monster I'm playing the guy who just buried his family and is a storyteller who wants to be like Van Helsing and hunt Dracula okay but I'm a bard and he's a bard and they're very different characters so finally getting back to the point, I want to switch up and play a game that's not D&D, not because I can't play in D&D, but because I think the players in the game will say, hey, this isn't D&D, so I, I could play differently. So I want to play Call of Cthulhu again. I have run Call of Cthulhu before. I've run 3rd edition, 5th edition, 6th edition. Um, the new rules for 7th edition are amazing. I spent most of the pandemic working on two different games, and we're not going to talk about the first one, we'll talk about the second one. The second one is a Call of Cthulhu campaign, which I've been working on for three and a half, four months now. Basically since January, I've been writing this massive sandbox, open world um, Call of Cthulhu game, and I've been writing articles about it and putting it on my, my website, so... A little little plug there. But um, the reason why I want to switch over to Cthulhu is because when I was a kid and I first started running D&D, I had only played D&D twice. My uncle ran me through a dungeon, and then a couple weeks later when it was raiding, he ran me through, you know, like a five or six hour session where I got out of that dungeon, went to a city and met a bunch of characters and just wandered. It was just me and my uncle telling a story to each other. It was great. And then after that, he gave me his books and said, okay, you go run games now. And I'm like, run games? I've only played two. But the thing was, was I didn't know any other way to run a game other than to basically make up stories on the spot. I was not a, I didn't spend a lot of time writing stories i just improv i was i was a super improv guy but we used to do a lot of minutiae now we're all older now and we've been all been playing for 20 years so most of my players are like okay i know exactly what my character's gonna do i got all my dice set up i know all my attacks i i go it's it's mechanical like D&D is very much mechanical especially playing online with roll 20 it, it's it's less talking and less getting into character or less doing the jokes and doing the voices it's more okay i move my figure on the map we talk for a little while i do some fighting we talk for a little while we do more fighting okay we've played for three hours it's like 11 o'clock at night we all have work you know good night but i miss when i would run a game and would spend like maybe an hour like role-playing having dinner you know with a bunch of people and talking to npcs and going back and forth so that's why i wanted to go back to trying to run call of cthulhu because call of cthulhu is mostly about normal people investigating abnormal things and you kind of have to think your way through things and talk your way through things and you only fight occasionally so games i miss is i miss just sort of being more immersed in role-playing and i don't want to say i can't do that with everyone i play with currently but i kind of feel i can't do that with everyone i play with right now which makes me sad which is why i've tried to work on games that were not DD so that when players come to the game they're like oh i've never played this game how do you play i could sort of teach them to go back to how we used to play when we were you know 12 years old sitting in the basement Versus how we play now that most of us are late 30s, early 40s, or you guys are younger. But you know what I mean? Like, uh, I hope I'm making sense. I don't know. I feel like I'm babbling a little bit here. Did that that come together? Did I make Yeah, absolutely. I have a few things that I kind of wanted to talk about uh, with that, though. One, it sounds like 
it sounds like it could just simply be the issue of, you know, who's DMing and who's playing. So sometimes you need to swap DMs or GMs to kind of spice things up so that you're playing under another type of game, you know, another another um, vision, you know, when your DM is the same DM every time or most of the time, you're going to run into a thing where all the players already know how that DM likes to handle all of their combat encounters, how they like to write out their talkie points, all that stuff. Like you, you already figured it out. It's been 20 years. We know, right? right? Like I'm just yep. going from your angle there. Uh, the other thing that just kind of like miffed me a little was when you're like players insist on the rules being played as written. Well, that's fine and dandy, except the first rule of D&D is that the dungeon master is always right. And yep. therefore the rules are guidelines. That is what that means that they are there to help inform you of a path to take but are not necessarily set in stone that if the dm needs to change things to meet a meta or a guy or a story or whatever that that's the whole that's the whole point so that's very irritating that there are players who think that way about D because they're forgetting the golden rule of D. I have i have a worse one for you mike let me let me clarify this a little bit so i'm, I'm obviously i'm talking from a player perspective because i actually did not run games for almost 10 years for a specific reason so you're talking about a player who's like no it's raw okay so the player who in my group is the most often the one who say no this is raw this is how the rules are written is the main dm of my tuesday game so as a dm he is also like no this is the raw rules and i am going to enforce the raw rules and then when he becomes a player he makes life hell for any dm who is running him as a player because he will basically just like min max it he'll, he'll min max his character and he will also like what do you mean my spell doesn't get through i'm like well it's a story point you can't get through this thing because you gotta go find the freaking magic key no i just <laughs> want to hear that because there's no rule like like you know raw, raw rules say that the spell he just used dispelled this so now the trap is is gone and you can't you can't tell him otherwise my you know, so. my book my book over there on the shelf I really yep. just want to get over there and open up my f- fifth edition book that literally says on the f- first few pages the dm is always right yep those are written rules that is the written rule to follow dungeons and dragons and and, and what he'll do because i've played with people who who you're talking about i played with people like that it's not fun because it's not DD. yep exactly and then the worst thing that happens is that you know in the past i i was you know i've i've had moments where i was a prick saying hey no man rules go this way but you know that might be 10 years ago that might be 15 years ago and anytime i sit there and say dude just relax and and back off off, he will pull up something from 15 or 20 years ago and be like, nope, you did it to me 15 years ago. And, and like, he won't say 15. He'll say, you did this to me during this campaign. And I'll be like doing the math going, dude, that was like 18, 15 years ago. And I'm like, I'm not like that anymore, but you're still you. So <laughs> yeah. It, so my, my whole story basically comes down to, I want to run this Call of Cthulhu game because it will be more investigation and more minutia and talking and like role playing, like a lot more acting and role playing but so far i've taken months and months and months to work on this game because the only way i could run this game is if i hand select who my players are and i feel bad because there are players who i play with right now who i don't want to invite to this game if i run it but i don't want to be the person who wouldn't invite a friend to play this game so it's like i'm spending all this time like making you know making maps researching 1940s like architecture and you know boston and new england maybe you should dm for a new group of people with that then you know yeah, kind well, of, I, I would say kind of where that, I'm, I'm heading right now yeah. but it's it's one of those things where i feel really bad about it and as it is right now i have two people who have told me like hey we'll play in this call of cthulhu game and not give you flack uh the person who i'm talking about being problematic is already said oh we're not good at that we're not good at investigation because he doesn't want to play investigation game everyone here is too stupid to get clues and I'm like, man, he's not, he's not actually saying the words. Everyone's too stupid. He's like, oh, no, we're all very bad at it. I'm never good at finding clues. No one's good at it. And so that's how I'm he's not good at it. Therefore, no one is. I mean, if I can if I can kind of encapsulate what I feel like you've been saying, Kurt, is like there are kind of two people you find when you're playing D&D. 
There are the people who are playing to win, and there are the people who are playing to play. Like in, you know, in like the childhood sense of the words. And, you know, I mean, I, I don't yeah. I don't think there's necessarily a right and a wrong way to play D&D. But for my money, if you're a play to win kind of guy or person, in my experience, the play to win kind of people tend to be guys. Um, <laughs> yeah, this is a guy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but if you're if you're a, if you're a play to win kind of person for my money, you can get that same experience much more easily by booting up a console. Yep. Like, yeah, I don't, playing I don't a competitive see, video game or something. Yeah, I it's, don't it's, see any yeah. reason to be playing D&D in that context. Because for me, like, you know, in my in my origin story that I shared, uh, you know, a couple podcasts back, the thing that blew my mind about D&D was the possibilities. And if you're going to play straight on the rails, you, you might be better served playing something else. Rails would be the wrong uh, analogy because he definitely believes in freedom and he definitely rolls with what players do. Like I said, like as a DM, I enjoy 80 to 90 percent of what he dishes out. I mean, sometimes he repeats himself because, I mean, hey, you've been, we've been playing this game for, you know, for a very long time. But um, I will say that I retired as a DM over a decade ago because I just couldn't run games with him at my table and i didn't want to be like you can't come to my table i actually when third edition started i actually ran a game without him and didn't tell him i was running a game i was like no i'm gonna stay at second edition i'm never gonna play third but i ran a game in third edition and i had a really good time and then it came out he found out basically like, hey you've been running a game for two years and i'm like oh uh, i got into it i got roped into it and he's like you got roped into a game that has eight people at your house every single week and i'm like well it started with just three and then it grew <laughs> And so, oh, well, we're, we're about to start a second half of the campaign. You can come into that one. And I let him come into that one. And um, we played for a number of years. It just got more and more difficult with, like, other players. Like, no, it's not jiving. So, like, like I said, I love him as a DM. And we've been friends for 25, 26 years. So it's, like, one of those things where, like, you know, I don't want to be, like, the bad guy. So, like, I came out of retirement gaming-wise at the end of 2018, I ran a game called Torg. Torg Eternity is a new version of it. And it started off all right, but it's one of those things where, like, he doesn't, like, like he understands, like, D&D is not about winning. But at the same time, he's one of those guys who hangs out on the op boards, hangs out in the forums. And, like, my character's suboptimal. I should have spent my points differently because I don't know the system. And I didn't know how to, like, buy my skills. So I hate my character. Because I hate my character, I'm going to passively, aggressively make the other players miserable for the game. So, like, as part of the game, we were switching to, um, I really don't want to get into the long version of the story. But uh, there's different settings all in the same game. So, like, this setting is... Is like primal earth and this setting is like fantasy and this setting is like post-apocalyptic so for each setting in the world because they're different parts of the map um i had them create different characters so that when he was getting really miserable in the first setting we then switched up to the second setting and that game started going like really well like it became like they were rebuilding a city and like it was like really in-depth the story was getting there but we started having problems yet again and so then we switched to the third setting. And then in the third setting, he just went like, oh, I've started mastering this. So now everything is going to be overpowered. Like I'm playing a character that can punch a tank and break it in half starting. <laughs> so I don't know. It's it's just become a, a, a problem. But it's like one of those things where I don't want to be like, no, you're out. But you're right. I've, I probably need to find a couple new players and some other people to play with. It's just, you know, I've been playing with so many people for so long. Yeah, dealing dealing with problem players like that, I've known people to be min-maxers. What I want to say, and this is also kind of, you know, I, it's something I didn't really want to have out there, but I'm willing to put it out there because I think it, it definitely helps this conversation along into like seeing what kind of players we actually are. There have been times in this current campaign that I am in with Jane where I have actually rolled extremely well, but because I felt other players needed to take more actions or I felt that it was boring to just have me do all the do whatever I was doing you know I purposefully have failed several roles I would say to the DM like oh no I, I whiffed that one uh-oh I don't know when I play D&D I think of it as we're going on an adventure as a party we may have characters that may have individual stories that are you know different we can play a selfish character but at the table as a player you need to separate that from your character because you're just going to make everybody freaking miserable and the game is about adventuring and exploring and role playing 
role playing means there's very little rules to what you're supposed to do for role playing. And that's why like when people complained about fourth edition, they're like, all the rules are about combat. There's no rules about role playing. And it's like, cause it's role playing. You do whatever you want to do with role playing. You're not, and that's the whole point. The D the first rule is the DM is always right. Which means that whatever serves their narrative is correct. Meaning all the rules are fluid. They are not solid. That is encapsulated in that first golden rule. And people who forget that ruin the experience for everyone else at the table. Absolutely. I will say the person we were talking about, like when he let go of, um, I, I mentioned in a previous podcast about fourth edition and how the, the dungeon master just like let go of all the restrictions. When he let go of all the restrictions and started just having fun with the game, those were the best games we ever played. Absolutely fantastic. So yeah, Jane, I'd, I'd like to hear just like a little bit of thoughts on that. And then we're going to quickly run down our next segment. These these three topics kind of all bleed into each other. So we've kind of covered each topic. And I'm going to put this in so that the listener can understand that, you know, our rundowns are also fluid because I am always <laughs> right as the DM of this <laughs> podcast. Uh, oh, boy. Well, I mean, I think uh, I'm actually going to walk back a little bit of what I just said about there being no wrong way to play. Well, no, okay. I agree there's no wrong way to play D&D, but I do think there's a right way. And I think, Mike, it's it's exactly what you were just saying, is, is to keep in mind we are doing this as a party. I am a little on the fence as to, you know, I, I perfectly respect your decision to, you know, call that some of your roles aren't going to go through. Because I think, I think that's every player's right. I don't think that's something that I personally jive with. Like, I enjoy just rolling with the dice because I know that, like, you know, I, I, tend, I tend to have a really wide swing with my rolls like can you know, I, clarify, I mean most people do because it's probability can i clarify that just a little when oh, i yeah. did fudge my rolls it was because i had visibly noticed the other people at the table becoming bored <laughs> gotcha that, that's exactly oh yeah why. i do i i think i remember the occasion you're talking about actually yeah i mean I think I think in the game that we're playing too, we have the particular difficulty of having a giant party. Um, because I think if we're if we're at full, there's are we at it's ten like or eleven players. right now? Uh, oh, I think wow. there's, yeah, it's eleven players and and then the DM, Damn, but I, then there's the mystery players that pop in and out every now and then because there's yeah. some that do that. I ran a regular ten person game and that was that was difficult. Yeah, so you know, I mean, it's it's tricky. You know, I think I think there are there are some occasions where and also our DM. I think this is definitely the biggest game he's ever run so there's absolutely a learning curve in terms of like you know keeping everyone interested um, well he's also an amazing dm as well he's very knowledgeable he is a professional dungeon master and he he just he knows what he's doing he can be a little tight on some of the rules like i think he needs to take it easy on dina <laughs> but, but well uh, i mean i i think i think part of some just because some of our players despite having been playing for like a year at this point are still extremely unfamiliar with the rules and I think uh, there might be a bit of frustration on his part coming through with that. Um, yeah. Like there's, there are a lot of, there are many occasions where I'm just like, man, we've been doing this for a year. Like this is a pretty basic mechanic. And that's obviously not to say anything negative, like personally about anyone in the group. Cause I like them all a lot, but you know, it does get in the way of the game sometimes. And when you do have such a large group, being able to make your actions relatively quickly is a big part of keeping the game moving it's just you know there's there's a lot of moving parts but to, to circle back around I, I do think the main the main thing to remember when you're playing D&D is that you are not in it alone you are in it together and if you are the outlier in playing in a certain way and nobody else is playing that way then maybe you need to kind of reconsider your approach in fact the one of the only times I ever ran a game uh, I just I found that it was not my cup of tea I had several very new players and one more experienced player whose character I think maybe had some potential. He was playing a dragonborn who didn't speak common very well. So he ended up getting into a whole, and, and he was also a very much like take charge and hope everyone follows him kind of character so that approach didn't really work one of the other players as they're like parting action before they had to leave the group permanently was to try and kill him which i allowed as the dm because like it was in character for everybody <laughs> and it was a little mean but we killed his character and he rolled someone else who was a much better team player like i, I don't think that kind of thing is entirely out of the question i mean the, the way i've always kind of view dungeons and dragons even from the first few games 
games that I played. I mean, I, I, I started with a very good DM as well. His name was Chris. You know, he, he would stick with his his plan and he was very good with narratives and world building, but he also allowed uh, the players to be very flexible in terms of like me being a newcomer who wanted to always drop compact a piece and talk our way out of stuff versus, you know, the rogue in the party who was min-max stats and was there to just fuck everything up, you know? And, and he managed to keep both of us in line, you know, not straying one way or the other. It's, it's really all about, you know, your DM. And I think, I think a thing too, to remember is that DMs need to be flexible by definition. And that includes with the rules, you know, they need to be flexible with their players. They need to be flexible with their story because things aren't going to always go as the DM planned it. That's just how it works. <laughs> your players are very unpredictable a lot of times. So I just, yeah, I, 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 oh. I, uh, no, I, I just am, I'm circling back again. Cause it really, it, it really does frustrate me. I I've had many <laughs> conversations with those people. But... No, it's okay. I mean, like it's good cause we but have something is... to talk about, but there's that, that just really, that, that bothers me that there's that, that, that people do that, that are so like, Oh, the rules need to be this way for a game that is about role-playing a fantasy character <laughs> like it's what you make it like it's your character you make it you you choose what to do yeah i mean like he that's what i make sure I'm, I'm painting the proper picture like as much as he like as a player he's gonna call you on the rules and he's gonna try to min max everything as a dm he is experimental like 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 he'll make up like house rules for stuff. He'll experiment with new stuff, but at the same time, like it's like no that that spell doesn't work that way. Sorry, you can't like cast a spell to do a different effect. No, Which, but my frustration I mean, was my frustration was player, coming from yeah it, what you were saying when, as a player. It, it's when he becomes a player that things are problematic. Like I love him as a DM. I I, I I love his games. I mean, I've been playing in those games for a very long time. Um, even when I get frustrated sometimes because he's a deadly DM too. He likes to beat. The crap out of us but like you know that, that that's that's the pay and that's the buy and i know that i'm gonna be in a game where i'm gonna nearly die i nearly died like my my, my, my current character in his current game has nearly died four times and we've only played a couple games like of the new campaign so yeah it is what it is like i said i i don't like running him but i don't like you know i, I don't like being that guy but yeah if, if i ever get around to running this call through the game it's probably going to be either with new people or with just a handpicked crew. Yeah, that's that's what I'd say. Honestly, if you're playing games, I, I don't know. We're all adults now. You know what I mean? Yeah. We, we yeah, want to play these time. games to have a good time. Like, to unwind, to break up the monotony of everyday BS. Let's have a good time. And having that kind of just straight-up rules, you know, uh, taskmaster. Rules commissar. Just like... <laughs> there it is. B- bearing down on you like that's i don't know man that really frustrates me like especially when uh just hearing uh, the the fact that he backtalked the dm when the dm said no your spell can't work like this because that's what i said you know narratively i don't want you doing this i am allowed to tell you no like that i to, to backtalk the dm after that is just like that's that's confuddling to me yeah followed up with the there's no rule where you can make a spell that does this i, I don't know how you how you physically put together this ward, this magic ward and this magic item that we're not supposed to have yet. Yeah. Like, it's impossible. There's no rules for it. How about <laughs> the rule of, like, this is the narrative where you get the special item to bypass it. Yeah, I mean, that, that sounds like the rule to me. <laughs> okay, so those were some games that we missed and some, like, ways of playing games that we wish to return to eventually. Uh, now we're going to talk about some old rules from our favorite games uh, that are still currently uh, in play that we just wish to come back. Now that could be like 40k rules that were from 3rd edition or 4th edition, whatever, you know, that are no longer in the game that we want to come back. Or same with Dungeons and Dragons. It was in a previous edition. It's not here anymore. Uh, whatever, that kind of thing. And my example of that is, is just you know the the leadership tests on on uh, on death company i i really don't understand it, it lore wise it doesn't make any sense these guys are fearless at this point they're nutso just berserking across the field they already can't take actions they already can't fall back they have to constantly press forward but they still fall to leadership and i just don't understand that 
because it doesn't make sense. But I mean, it, it maybe balancing, but I don't even see it as a balancing thing, considering there's a lot of other there's a lot of other units out there like Vanguard veterans that can do a whole bunch of stuff. They still have to worry about their leadership, but they're not a special unit like that's designed for just going out to die. Right now, if if the leadership test for Death Company was like if they explained it in a way of like, oh, well, you know, these are these are guys that accidentally killed themselves while <laughs> trying to kill other people. That's cool. But that's not how it's described. It's it's still just the average leadership test. And it's kind of weird. So that's my example rule slash my rule. Um, now I'm going to throw it to Jane. I'd like to hear yours. Oh, if you have one. Yeah, I mean, I haven't been playing these games really long enough to have rule changes like that per se but i will say that i just kind of this is gonna sound so silly but i have never fully understood the relationship between your athletic stat and uh or your strength stat and your athletic scores in uh in D D. like i will always think that i have it correct and then I'll be like, oh, okay, so I can jump this many feet with this much of a lead up. And it's just, no, no, you mathed wrong again. So, I mean, maybe maybe the rule that I'm hoping will return is the rule where my brain is better at math. <laughs> so uh, can you give me a, a bit of an example on that? Do you have something specific, uh, like other than that run and jump in? Like, wh- what do you mean? Uh, yeah, because that rule's actually wrong. <laughs> Because it's just a set number for for distance and height jumps in fifth edition now. Oh, that's what I thought. Okay. It's, well, so um, there, there's I, I had I had an occasion yeah. where I was trying to like long jump across an island, and my character had an extreme strength stat, or I, I was trying to long jump across a river to an island. And my character had an extreme strength stat, and I thought that I was going to be able to make that jump, but I guess the DM was going off of an old rule where I still ended up having to roll for it. Yeah. So for long jumps, as long as you move ten feet, you move. You can jump like your strength number in feet. So like if you had like a strength of 20, you go 20 feet, four squares, and that's it. Um, For the high jump, there's a thing where you could make a a strength check to try to add a couple extra feet, plus you have your body length. Um, So it's like a weird combination, like there's an equation for it. But the actual long jump is purely just your strength. Well, now I know. Yep. It seems like I fell victim to uh, rule one of D&D, which uh, I never want to go away. The, the, the biggest problem that, that you get is you have people who have played multiple editions of D&D freaking trying to run the wrong rules. Like, I constantly keep pulling third or fourth edition rules and saying that that's the current rule and it's not. <laughs> they the just time. bring, like, the PHB from third edition or fourth edition to the table and everybody's got fifth edition books. <laughs> no, it's just literally, like, my, my brain is telling me that this is the right rule and, like, it's like, uh, no, that's that's the previous rule. And I'm like, oh, shit. I remember a lot of arguments over, like, uh, including from myself. I don't remember the specifics of them, but I do remember getting into a lot of them with my DM and with the players around the table. Um, everybody had some sort of confusion when we moved from Pathfinder to 4th Edition. Um, that was a big kind of rules soup that we <laughs> had trouble with. Ah, uh, soup. Uh, but Kurt, I want to hear your, like, old rule that you'd like to come back. So... Uh... So, besides the whole problem of, of misremembering rules and using the old ones already to begin with, um, we we already adapted a lot of our favorite rules from previous editions into games. So, like, for example, like, Bloody doesn't exist anymore because all these, the community, the people online are a pain in the butt when it comes to D&D. Um, and, like, oh, we don't like 4th edition terms because, you know, there's just all these people who hate on fourth edition for no reason um or for like no real reason they just perceive a problem that doesn't exist so getting back on topic um so like we we use bloody in our current game and we use a lot of those old rules that we like but one of the things i really really miss from fourth edition to um fifth edition is um i miss the warlord like the warlord no longer exists as a a character class or a role i mean the role still exists but the the mechanics for that class just aren't fully support it like some classes have parts of it but no class has all of it and um i kind of wish there was a, a real straight up warlord again instead of me having to like multi-class uh, like a ranger fighter bard to uh to get the whole thing working again now are either of you familiar with the class or do i have to explain further uh, you know uh, I think, i'd like to hear an explanation i think i might i okay. think i might remember it but please please so, go on so 
in fourth edition and in other editions of the game, but specifically in fourth edition, um, they define the roles to actually be actual roles. Whereas before they were just sort of like people fell into roles. Um, so like, you know, you have like your fighter and you have your controller who controls the battlefield and you have your, your leader and leaders are bards and clerics. Like they're the people who heal you and buff or debuff the enemy. So that's, that's what a, what a, um, a leader is. And the warlord was a fully martial warrior who was a leader. So he didn't have spells. He didn't have magic. He had tactics and brain power as a fighter. So like one of the things a warlord would do was he, instead of taking his attack, he'd be like, Hey, you hit that character. So like, let's say the three of us were playing. And I was in a really crappy spot, like I couldn't get to an enemy, but Jane was in combat with an enemy. I'd go, Jane, here's a plus two to hit. Hit that guy on my turn. So Jane would get an extra set of actions to attack that guy because I gave him those actions. That's what like the main thing of a warlord was. But That's he could really also cool he could also do stuff like, oh, rub some dirt on it. Like here, here's like 10 points of healing with no magic. Because I just inspired you to get back up and get to work. You know, I, I just gave you like a second wind. Um, and, and it was all stuff like like that where like, okay, it's my turn. I'm going to allow both of you to move three squares or 15 feet. So even though you guys have both finished your turns, you get to both move without provoking attacks of opportunity and move around the enemies on the field. You know, like so both of you can move and get to a flank. Or both of you could disengage from the guys you're fighting and get away without being hurt. And that's just, that's my turn. I just moved you guys out of harm's way without having to do anything. That's um, really cool. And so, like, that still kind of exists. Like, you got bards who can heal you and give you, like, you know, bardic inspiration and give you, you know, a d6 to add to your rolls. But there's not this whole class that's 100% non-magic and has all these abilities to, like, heal, move people come up with tactics, debuff enemies by like shouting at them or, or, or being, you know, it, you just, it just doesn't exist anymore. It just, it just totally went away and all of its good stuff got taken and distributed to bards and rangers and fighters. So I would definitely like to see a 5e full warlord come back. I wonder if they'll add it in an upcoming like expansion book or something. They, they I don't might, know, man. Maybe. It's been years, the, and it yeah. still doesn't really exist. It's just they give it stuff to other people. Yeah, like, well, I know. Other people can do it. I know there's a fighter subclass that is, or it's one of the one of the martial archetypes that is kind of like that, but not not quite. Well, there's the mastermind, which is a I think a rogue or fighter like fighting style, where like basically you uh you could pre-plan stuff and get like boosts to like your d20 rolls or get a couple of like extra bonuses, but that's about it. Yeah. Oh, so I'm I'm thinking of the battle master, which has some of the like I will use my action to give you a free action kind of thing. Oh yeah. Yep. Um, yeah, that's the closest you can get. Yep. Yeah, but it's yeah some of the things you were describing are are much much more interesting. Well. Because remember, this was 4E, so you had encounter daily and at-will powers. So depending on what level of power you were throwing, like if you were throwing a daily, the daily would be like, okay, so you have advantage and like a bonus to like your damage. Like here's plus 10 damage and advantage. Take your attack. That would be like a daily power. So like, you know, give someone like a super like punch or hit. I missed that. And with that said, that's our podcast for this week, guys. Thank you for listening, everybody. We enjoy your ears being here on our what am games podcast for hobbyists and others with ears (laughs) (laughs) yes ears are necessary until next time dear (laughs) listeners peace Be, be well